even though it's a forgotten part of it, the idea of dying to self is actually a central component to Christian faith. We want to believe that Christian faith has, I'll say, devolved to the point where all normal Christianity is about is my life enhanced. The fact is, a central theme in an ancient practice in faithful Christian communities is this notion of dying to myself. In Luke 9, Jesus says, and you'll recognize this if you've been studying Scripture for any length of time. This is all over the New Testament. He says to his followers, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. So you have this picture of Jesus splintered, whipped, beaten, publicly shamed, and then asked, forced, to carry his own cross up a strenuous hill, with the end being his own death. You have that picture. You must take up your own cross daily and follow me in that, that practice of self-denial. It's not a real popular version of Christianity, but it's faithful. It's normal. For whoever wants, he says, to save their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for me will save it. Give yourself away for me. Put your rights in your back pocket for the sake of faithfulness. You're going to gain your life. You're going to save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? And whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. And when I read that, I'm also reminded of that text where it says, but Lord, Lord, we loved you too. We cast out demons and went to church and prayed. And, and his response is, yeah, but you never really knew me. I never really knew you. It's kind of like the difference between being roommates and being married. But honey, I came home every day with a check. And I kept the house painted and the lawn mowed. Could you imagine a spouse who's never experienced the beauty of intimacy and sharing life with all of its warts together and walking through it together and crying together and laughing together? The beauty of physical intimacy. Never experienced that? You could say, but I was faithful in all of the tasks. And that spouse could say, yeah, but you never really knew me. You may have provided for me, but you never knew me. And Jesus says, you're going to have to be good at growing in self-denial if you're going to be a true, faithful Christian. And stop preaching for a second. Let me say this. Just be careful, church, because today's version of Christianity makes it very, very easy to not be Christian at all. It's like whitewash. You can look religious, look good, look faithful, check the boxes. But if we're not saying, how can I die to myself today? What keeps me from the journey downward? What sacrifices does the Lord want me to make so that I can be more like Christ? 
more of a servant, less, in con- less often controlled by my insecurities, so on and so forth. If we're not going in that direction, I don't know what we have, but we don't have Christianity, not biblical Christianity. It's not really in vogue, but it's still demanded by God. In fact, this Wednesday marks the beginning of a season where the church historically has pursued self-denial, pursued disciplines or practices that assist us in learning how to deny ourselves for the sake of something greater. This is one of the places, one of the ways, by the way, where I feel like a new generation, our high school students who are following Christ, especially, and our college students and our 20-somethings can speak truth to me and say, don't forget what our generation remembered. Justice, sacrifice, humility. Don't forget that. We depend upon them in some ways to complete us in that area. This is the season of Lent that begins. Begins this, this Wednesday. A season of self-denial, a season of sacrifice, a season of staring in the face those inclinations to choose what's easy and to choose what immediately feels good, to say, no, 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 no. You don't go anywhere good. You're tempting me to lose my life. When it feels like I'm gaining something, I'm actually losing, according to Jesus. Lent starts this week. Traditionally, it starts on Wednesday, Ash Wednesday. Lent is a season of focus on self-denial in celebration of the 40 days temptation Jesus had in the desert. Lent this year starts this Wednesday, as I said, goes till March 26th. So it's, it's traditionally that 40-day period between Ash Wednesday and Easter. Now you add up the days, you say, well, that's not 40 days. But in history, in church history, now it's all different for different traditions, the Eastern tradition, the Western tradition, the Catholic tradition, the high church tradition, the low church tradition, Protestant tradition, is different. They have different expressions of Lent, different seasons of Lent. But normally they wouldn't count Easter because Easter are celebration days. I mean, wouldn't count Sunday. Sundays are celebration days. They're like little mini Easter's. But the exact, getting the exact number right isn't that important. It's a season that ends sometimes, in some traditions, Holy Saturday, Saturday before Easter, and some traditions after worship on Easter Sunday morning. The Bible doesn't really mention this season of Lent. Not specifically. There's no place in Scripture you're going to read the word Lent. There's no place in Scripture you're going to hear a a didactic instruction, a a teaching that says, now, on Ash Wednesday, quit eating or quit watching television or whatever you might be compelled to do naturally up until Saturday night or Sunday of Easter. It doesn't say that. But the practice of repentance and mourning, the idea of, of ashes in some form, being used as reminders, as symbols, is quite biblical and quite normal. In the Old Testament, the distribution of ashes, ashes or rubbing ourselves in ashes or rolling around in ashes, most often is attached to mourning. So ashes were a sign of mourning. 
It was reminding us every day when we woke up that our hearts were broken over something, whether the loss of a loved one or uh, the community of God not, act, not behaving properly and wounding people, an injustice that we've seen. In the New Testament, it moves to add to that practice, using ashes as connected with intensified prayer uh, and other expressions of it. So we don't actually have Lent, that season of a prescribed number of days mentioned in Scripture, but we do have what Lent represents as normative in Scripture. Now today's message is actually about fasting. It's not about Lent. It's about one of the expressions that is normally practiced in Lent. And it's perfect that this season is a season we talk about self-denial, self-sacrifice for a purpose of spiritual growth, spiritual depth. It's in the context of Lent. Fasting is a, maybe not, I was going to say normative, it's predominant theme in Lent. And one of the ways that we begin to practice the journey downward, dying to ourselves. There are all sorts of expressions of that. But we're going to focus today on fasting, certainly remembering that we're in a season of fasting, a season of Lent, a season of going without, something we have the right to not go without. So fasting is a common form of self-denial during Lent. It goes together naturally with Lent. And in some Christian traditions, fasting is, I mean, fasting virtually equals Lent. Lent virtually equals fasting. They're almost synonymous. In other words, here's, here's a statement I want to make. Fasting helps us, because we're talking about the purpose of fasting. Fasting helps us, it helps me, to break my attachment to some things in order to enhance my attachment to better things. It helps me, it's, it's what in the old school language, it's a buffing, buffeting the body. It, it, helps me, it helps me to train myself to break my attachment to some things in order to assist me in my attachment to better things, to the best things, to deeper things. And it's a very practical way to practice and grow in self-denial. You know, Jesus practiced fasting. And if our lives are, if we're called to follow in the way of Jesus, if he practiced fasting, that's pretty much all we should need. We want more. We want some understanding. But he practiced fasting, and we're to model our lives after his, so perhaps we should practice this idea of going without something so that we can train ourselves to attach ourselves to something that's even better. In this temptation in the desert, it's recorded in all three synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But in Matthew 4, first verse of chapter 4, it begins in that particular Gospel. And we read that Jesus went into this 40 days of testing just before he launched his public ministry. He goes out into the wilderness, and he has to actually face Satan directly. It's a face-to-face experience. That's pretty tough to do, but to make it even tougher, what he does before he goes to face this enemy that he had and we have today, 
He fasts for 40 days. That's like, today's a Super Bowl Sunday. You know that. High Sunday of the year. The, <laughs> that's like, oh, before I go to play this game today, I think I'll do a maximum weightlifting regimen. And then I'll run a, a, a half marathon. Just so I can be ready for kickoff. Man, the game's going to be tough enough. Why are you making it even tougher? Jesus fasts for 40 days and then goes to meet Satan face to face. He saw some value in that for some reason. He practiced it. And when he's challenged, by the way, one of those challenges, if you remember, is Satan saying, hey, hey, you haven't eaten for 40 days. I know that. Man, wouldn't a nice juicy juicy T-bone taste good right about now? Tell you what, see all these stones around here? You've got the power. Why don't you turn them to bread and you can really enjoy some food? And what does Jesus say? Hmm. But human beings don't live by bread alone. There's strength, there's power, there's growth, there's depth waiting for us when we learn to deny ourselves in the face of quivering temptation. Jesus practiced it. I referenced earlier that infamous, or that famous, not infamous, statement of the Apostle Paul. Look, and he's, by the way, the context for this is a discussion of meat sacrificed to idols. So there's food there again. Not just talking about food, but there's food there again. And something that he has the right to partake in but he decides not to for the sake of someone else. That's a form of fasting as well. He said, because he says, he said, makes a global statement that's in response to a specific application, but he said, it's a regular practice of mine to buffet my body, to, to discipline my body. Literally, that could be translated, I punch myself in the face regularly. So that when I run and challenge others to run, I won't be proven to be a hypocrite. I run in such a way as to win. I go deep. How do you go deep? I practice things that aren't that easy to practice. Like what? Like saying no to my body, even when I should have the right to say yes, so that my body can always remember, yeah, yeah, you're not in control here. We're not to always just respond to every emotion or every inclination or every longing, every desire. Even the good ones sometimes. We've got to remember that the heart is in control. The spirit is in control. When I think about what's true and what's not and where I want to be and how I want to run across the finish line, I've got to train myself to be able to do that and I buffet my body. I go without. I discipline my body. Jesus practiced it. The apostles practiced fasting. It's a really practical way to grow in self-denial. So let me re recap. It's a season of Lent, a season that the church has set aside to say, let's remember the priority of self-denial. Let's remember that we are not going to live deep and fully faithful lives in following Christ without taking up our cross daily, regularly, and following him. Christianity is not about self-promotion, it's about self-denial. Christianity is not about anything it takes to make my life easier and always be walking downhill. It's about walking uphill with a burden on your shoulder. It's about self-denial. And Lent reminds us of that. 
And one of the primary practices of Lent and self-denial is fasting. Some of the purposes of the spiritual practice of fasting, you may have already picked up from the texts I chose. To remember and experience a participation with the self-denial and sacrificial death of Jesus. In a sense, in a sense, in a loose sense, small s. Fasting is sacramental. I'm not saying it's a sacrament, but it has sacramental elements to it because it somehow connects us with Jesus. It stops us from just giving, just giving him a nice wink. It causes us to take a deep breath and say, man, I'm battling this thing. I, I see now something. When I've gone without, I see in ways I couldn't see before. And I'm identified with, I enter into the participation in some way with Jesus, a participation with Jesus in sacrifice. The apostles presumably fasted as they mourned the death of Jesus. And Christians have traditionally fasted in the season of Lent in an annual commemoration of his burial entering in. You look at that at Matthew 9, you can... You can read about that. In 1 Corinthians 9 again, that's where this, I discipline my body so I'll run in such a way as to win text comes from the apostle Paul. But one of the other purposes of fasting, and especially in the season of Lent, uh, we can focus on that, is fasting then can act as a boot camp for the body and the mind. Some of, I know some of our folks are in a, a boot camps now. You know, you go and you work out, you wake up when you're not supposed to wake up, and you go do exercises that no human should ever subject his or her body to. And we call it boot camp. And you might even have the leader of the boot camp acting a little bit like a drill sergeant. You don't just run on the street, you run in the sand. You don't just run in the sand, you run in the water. And it's just boot camp. Trains you so that you can know how to win. It can be for the sake of training ourselves to win the spiritual race. Another purpose of fasting and a benefit of fasting sometimes is to intensify the power of our faith and our prayers. Now, I understand, I think, the practice of fasting so that we can somehow get a little bit of reminder in the experience of the challenge that Jesus went through. And I think I understand, or at least there's some reason behind, connection with the value of challenging your body physically so you can grow in strength to resist well when you need to and win some of the battles. I know it's true that denying ourselves intensifies our prayers, builds our faith. But I have to confess, I have no idea of the connection, the logical connection. I don't know why when I choose a food fast, for instance, which I obviously don't choose very often, but when I do, I know that there's something powerful in my soul that happens. I know that I concentrate better when I pray. I know that my faith, I learned to say, man, God, you can do this. Almost, it's almost like an expectation that is stronger than when I'm not going without something. But I don't know how. I can't explain it to you. But in Matthew 17, the apostles are going out trying to do the ministry of Christ, and they're casting out demons, and they're preaching with great power, but they go to cast out a demon from a young man and it doesn't leave. It just sort of laughs at them. No, you leave, it says. 
and they picture them running with their tail between, tails between their legs. They come back to Jesus, scratching their heads, saying, we did this and it worked, and then we went to the next town and we did this and it didn't work. In fact, we got a little scared and we cut out. Why was that? And what does Jesus say? You remember? He says, ah, you need deeper faith. He says, this kind of demon, demons of this nature, this prescription, don't come out of a person except by much prayer and fasting. So there's implied there this intensified prayer and power and authority, the practice of authority, this intensified success when we're praying and walking in the Spirit with authority that's connected somehow with fasting because the fasting intensifies the prayer and builds the faith. The context is you need to have stronger faith. How do we get that? Deeper prayer. How do we get that? Add fasting to it. So Some of the benefits and the purposes of the spiritual practice of fasting connects us with Christ in experience. Serves as a boot camp that strengthens us for greater success in being the people we long to be and God longs for us to be. And it intensifies power. It intensifies faith. I remember the first year I was a follower of Jesus. Had no idea of the practice of any of this stuff. I was just stupid enough and spiritually blank enough to believe things that were promised to me. And I had my first little spell of my faith going a little bit dry. The first time since following Jesus that I thought, I I don't feel like sparks are going off all the time in my heart. Whoa, what's that, Lord? And I sensed, I thought it in my mind, I, I attributed it to God, but I had this thought regardless of who was responsible for it. I don't think I was because it was too good of a thought. But I thought, well, go a week without eating. I just thought that. So, okay, I'll do that. Man, that's like the hardest thing. I've, you might as well say art, fly through the air without wings. You know? And I remember thinking, oh my word, by Thursday, <laughs> I feel invincible spiritually. I feel alive again. And it was a direct correlation between revival of faith, strength, confidence, and a humble confidence. And somehow denying myself. And every day having to say n- no. Have, I'd go sometimes in my room and hide and just beg God, please let me fall asleep because I'm not sure how much longer I can go without eating or whatever it was I was doing. There is a connection there. And I can't explain it, but it exists. Now, the question comes up. Okay, you're talking about fasting. We automatically think about food. You even referenced food. Is fasting only about food? Is the only option for fasting going without eating? And do I go without eating anything? Do I just drink water? Do I just drink bread and water? Are all fasts the same? Are all fasts the same length? Are we talking about starting on Wednesday and not eating again or or breaking our fast until Easter Sunday morning? And I want to remind you that this is a concept we begin to practice And we're free, as the church has always been free, to practice this in different ways, at different levels of intensity, and for different lengths of time. It's not a legalistic mandate. 
It's an invitation. Remember the text in that song? I love that song. Uh, uh, Mercy triumphs over judgment. And that's the same Lord that says, come, come and take up your cross and follow me. Let's, just, let's have the next success together. I, I long to have you experience the beauty of training yourself to go without for the sake of spiritual depth, going without things so that you, and saying no to things so you can find strength to say yes to the better things. What are fasts about? There are food fasts. Maybe that's the most common form of fast. But even within that, the church has always recognized different applications of food fasts. Uh, it was traditionally normal to say, well, my fast is I'm going to go without meat for X amount of days. Abstaining from meat, eggs, milk, butter, and cheese was a classic fast. Abstaining from meat, eggs, milk, butter, cheese, and fish. There's a fourth level of this food fast that the church historically has practiced and officially has practiced. Abstaining from meat, eggs, milk, butter, cheese, fish, oil, and wine. And I want to say, can we just stop at oil? You know. <laughs> Or abstaining, this is the fifth level, which is the most severe in the traditional official practice of fasting in the church. Abstaining from all that, except for bread, water, juices, honey, and nuts. So there was, you can eat bread, water, juices, honey, and nuts. Which is probably pretty close to the regular diet of John the Baptizer. And some scholars think that's the fast Jesus practiced before he went into the wilderness. But I simply offer you some of those to say these were what the official fathers and mothers of the church recognized to be practiced throughout. So you could choose one of those fast, they would prescribe it, and everybody did it the same way. But, and we're not going to do that, but just to say, no, not all fasts are the same. They're not all for the same duration. They don't even all have to do with food. Some examples of other fasts that, I don't think this was a fast, uh, these first two were fasts that the ancient church was practicing, but certainly a modern church does. And some of you, when I say these, would say, yeah, I'd rather do the food thing. Because there are examples of fasts from television and movies and entertainment that we use to fill our minds. So, and sometimes, man, I'm, it's like having a martini at night. Man, let's just go to a movie because I'm so stressed out Let's just go to a movie, a comedy, so that I can laugh for about an hour and a half and not have to feel what I've been feeling. I mean, you hear that? That's an example of something God should provide for us and replacing it with something else. And if you're stuck there, that might be something you say, I'm not going to watch television for X amount of time. Or internet. Non-essential purchases or shopping. or Some of us use these kinds of things to find peace. It's not really peace, it's really a diversion. And we come back after the diversion and we have the same stuff facing us that was there before we went there. They're all, or anything else, you fill in the blank. Anything that we use to give us what God should give us, what the presence of God should give us. The idea is this, when we talk about fasting, and when in a second we'll challenge you to think about what you're going to fast from during Lent. Commit yourself to at Ash Wednesday service. Start thinking about that. Here's the, the point. To deny yourself something you would normally eat or do during the course of a day. 
for a prescribed period of time. And then every time you feel the hunger or feel the longing to resort to the regular habit, the purpose is this. That hunger pain, that longing, that first step you take toward, let's just go turn on the television in the morning, and is a reminder, no, 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 stop. Replace that with prayer. Ah, I just want to grab a sandwich or a cookie or something. No, no, no. Carve out new territory. Blast out some new stone and replace that with prayer. And look, take permission to have the prayer be rather raw and real. God, I want to tell you what you already know. I would rather be eating right now than praying. I'd rather visit the kitchen than the altar right now. And I don't want you to hear the Lord saying, well, you terrible, awful, foolishly motivated, Jonah-type, faithful Christian. That's not what he's saying. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine as a parent having your child come to you and say, man, it's hard mom and dad, but I really want to move in a different direction. Oh man, I would rather go out with my friends than hang out with you, but I'm going to hang out with you because I want to learn something new. Can you imagine that parent, a good parent, saying, well, you terrible, awful child? No, they say, man, son, daughter, how precious is that? That you want to try to move in the right direction. Let's go there together. That's what I want you to hear the Lord saying when you pray honestly I'm not doing so well. My motives aren't real great. My heart is sour, but here I am. I think the Lord says, good, that's better than you not being here with a sour heart. Anything we should be able to experience and do as a habit experience to which we say no, so that we can train ourselves to say yes to the better and best things. And praying Instead, this can have immense spiritual benefit. And as your pastors, we're not going to order everybody in the whole church to fast. Fasting is something that you have to choose to do out of freedom or desire between you and the Lord. But we want to come just short of that and saying, as your pastors, we're saying we're going to enter into this. Trust me, not all of us want to do it either in our flesh. And we're going to say to you, there's huge benefit, and please, let's go together as a church with everybody participating at some level. Not necessarily level five of a food fast. But if you want to, we'll pray for you through it. But at some level. We're going to ask you, so I can be clear, we're going to ask you to find something that the Lord gives you in your heart to, to, to deny yourself. And in denying yourself regularly, see it as a positive thing for growth. And it might be the cell phone. I mean, whatever it might be. And, and, then, and then go there and grow. And every time you wish you wouldn't have made that commitment, let that be a voice from God saying, okay, now that's good, that's growth, that feels uncomfortable, let's go pray together. No, I don't want to pray. That's, I'll strengthen you. I want to call my friend on the cell phone. That's good that you want to. What a beautiful thing to be able to say, no, come on, let's go find strength together. And there is tremendous benefit. You're just using your longings 
and your belly as sort of like a snooze alarm to say, let's go pray. I'm going to ask the band if they'll come back up because we're going to start moving into a time of communion in the context of the theme of self-denial. Because we taste the juice and the bread of self-denial, don't we? When Jesus says, here's the blood that came from self-denial, and here's the bread that came from self-denial, and here's a chance for you to identify with that. I want to finish with a prayer (laughs) and with a little poem that I read. And as I read it, think about what we're challenging you to do. (laughs) About what is really in your life filling space and doing work that only God should do. Food, television, novels, money, intoxicants, exercise, sleep. It's also a common practice in the historical church to do what's called visuals. Visuals. Where you, you deny yourself sleep, not every day. You can't do that. It's essential. But maybe for a night or a season or a half night and pray. And every time you feel like you're going to nod off, it's a reminder to deny yourself. Ask the question, what do I find it difficult to live without each day? What habits seem to have hold of me? What are the non-essential practices that I'd have a tough time giving up? And questions like that. And then by Wednesday at Ash Wednesday Gathering, be ready to launch your fast. So between now and then, man, be praying, be thinking, be asking those questions, be what we talked about last week, be listening Lord, are you saying that I need to replace bedtime reading with bedtime prayers? I would really miss my Steinbeck in the evening. Lord, are you asking me to replace a movie night with a service night? Are you asking me to replace time in my hobby, which is not a bad thing, but it's not an essential thing, with time doing spiritual readings between now and Ash Wednesday? And come to Ash Wednesday gathering ready to launch that. Listen to this as we prepare for communion. Lent. A few weeks without chocolate and maybe without alcohol. A few weeks of abstinence, of giving up things we like. Or maybe for Lent this year, just giving up. Hurry up, Easter and spring. Hurry up, chocolate eggs. But maybe there's another way, a way of feasting as well as fasting, a way of drawing near to the Lord in and through it all. Fasting and feasting. Fast from a gloomy outlook on life and feast on what is bright and cheerful. Fast from always being right and feast on seeing another's point of view. Fast from always pointing out differences. Feast on what unites us. Fast from words that pollute. Feast on those that purify. Fast from complaining and feast on appreciation. Fast from self-pity and feast on goodness in others and self. Fast from self-concern, feast on going out to others. Fast from overdoing, feast on time for prayer. Fast from worry, feast on God's love. Come swiftly, O Lord, 
to the dark moments when we are lost. Make us aware of your presence. Strengthen us to resist the urges and pulls to deeper darkness. Stir us to move away from the dark moments of sinfulness and toward the light of your forgiveness. Come quickly, O Lord, as we call or forget to call. And keep close to us and keep us close to you this day and night. And as far as the days and nights stretch before us, stay connected with us. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord.